Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing, it's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is The Other People Podcast. I'm Brad Listy, and I'm in Los Angeles. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. Today is Friday, so it is time for another flashback episode where I dig into the archives and share an outtake from an episode out of the past. Today, we're going to be revisiting episode 659, my conversation with author Jean Kyung Frazier. Her debut novel is called Pizza Girl. It was published back in 2020 by Doubleday. Episode 659 aired on July 22nd, 2020. A reminder that the full episode, episode 659, is available in the feed, as are all episodes of this show. So if you like what you hear in this flashback and you want to go in for the full conversation, you can do that. Just look for episode 659 wherever you get your podcasts. A quick reminder that I do a weekly email newsletter. You can subscribe for free over at bradlisty.substack.com. And if you like the work that I do, if you enjoy this show on a regular basis and you want to join the Other People Patreon community, you can do that at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. I would love it if you did. All right, so here we go with today's flashback from episode 659. Here I am in conversation with Jean Kyung Frazier, and once again, her debut novel is called Pizza Girl. 
I loved those Matt Christopher books when I was a kid. I don't know if you ever read those pulpy books with titles like The Kid Who Only Hit Homers or The Guy with the Submarine Pitch. Anyway, but yeah, it just sort of seemed like, uh, for lack of a better word, a really good vehicle to tell a story with, you know. Like um, the basketball or pizza? The pizza deliberate. Yeah, pizza deliberate. And so then just basically everything I was kind of thinking about, you know, like young parenthood, uh, sexual fluidity, Americanization, it all kind of found a way into this story and I just started expanding it and then I had a novel eventually. So what was the, what was the factor that caused you to write this book instead of the basketball book? God, that's a good question. Uh, I don't, I don't know exactly. It's like, I think a lot about writing books at the times that we need them. The basketball idea was fun and it definitely had some good lines and everything, but there wasn't a lot of emotional drive there where with the pizza novel, I had just moved to New York city and I was bartending a lot. And I was thinking a lot about the unknowability of people, just like the weirdness of like meeting people and being your best version of yourself for a couple minutes at a time. There was this one couple that I really liked and till one day I was working under the bar, I was crouching down cleaning and I heard her ask him, where does your wife think you are right now? And it just really hurt my heart a little bit. But it's also, it's like that kind of thing of like, well, I don't know them. Why, why should that hurt me? Because they're like fictional characters for you. You need them to perform a certain, a certain role. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just something weird about service jobs like that in general. It's like everyone kind of performing and kind of like we're being the people that we all need. You know, like everyone likes the friendly bartender. Everyone likes to joke around and have a quote unquote like fun moment with their pizza guy or girl, you know? Well, I think for some people too, you know, there's so much loneliness in our culture yeah. that the interactions we have with service industry professionals mm-hmm. might be some, you know, they might be some of the only meaningful interactions we have at all. Right. And I, I should say too, because there is, I think, especially, and I'm sure you probably dealt with this. Mm. Um, being a female pizza delivery person right. that, you know, these r- jobs can become sexualized. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, y- you might get people hitting on you. I mean, that even happened to me like once or twice, but, uh, <laughs> I can recall because I was, uh, shy mm-hmm. as a young single guy in my twenties, right. I would always like develop crushes. Mm-hmm on like waitresses and bartenders yeah. and like yeah. just because they, I, I, I was so bad at approaching people. I was just like, okay, well this person I can like sort of talk to, right. you know, and like you call it a crush a crush Is that what it's called? Okay. Yeah. I, I was a crush and I hope that it wasn't creepy. I was just, you know, I think right. people just are awkward sometimes. Totally. Um, I remember this was at the last bar I was at, I was towards the end of my shift and this guy came up to me and he said, I, you know, I feel like we have a really good connection. I don't know. I was thinking maybe we should go on a date one of these days. And I felt so awful, but I was just like, oh, uh, and I didn't know how it was going to go to, because you never know how it's going to go when you turn someone down, especially a strange man you don't know. And I was like, ah, you know, I don't really feel that way about you. And he was really cool about it. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I hope I can still come in here. And I was like, yeah, of course. And that was that. Um, and it wasn't, it was a completely nice interaction. You know, um, so that can happen sometimes, too. It's just, again, furthering that point of like, it's so hard sometimes to feel like you can put yourself out there. It makes sense when it's someone you see all the time, you know, like I had become a figure to him almost. Okay. So did that guy come back to the bar or come back? He did. Yeah, it was completely normal. You know, he was just a normal, normal guy, you know. 
Wow. Okay. Well, that's like the most civil thing ever. Yeah, it was very so. That's the thing. I felt my like the hair on my neck prickle because it's never. Uh, it can go much worse than that. But that was a really nice one. That was a really okay. nice one. Have you had situations where it's gone south? Uh, more that it's like people can be like pushy, being like, "No, just like come out with me once," or like, you know, have a drink with me just this one time. I'm. Uh, I've been lucky though. I've been able to get out of it. I, I definitely know that there are situations for people that don't go well, but I, I've been lucky in that way. So I want to uh, talk to you as well about some advice that you, like, I think you were in, uh, doing an interview that I was reading mm. it and the interviewer oh, yeah. was asking you for your thoughts on like advice you would give to a young writer and I'm paraphrasing, but I, I remember you saying basically that your advice was to young writers was to just not <laughs> give a fuck uh, or to give like less fucks as you're writing. And right. Um, like I think to somebody maybe listening at first blush, that might sound a little crude or something, but right. I, I got to say when I was reading it, it totally resonated with me and it might be because I'm in the midst of writing a book that I give like a lot of fucks about. And <laughs> I think that that can actually, that can like muck up the works. Like, I, you, do, you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think there's like real wisdom in what you were saying is what I'm trying to tell, tell you. Right. So can you elaborate on don't give a fuck? <laughs> Uh, it's a little bit of both. I mean, it's like I try to like I give that advice and I, I'm like you. It's really hard for me to take it sometimes because it's like, you know, everything I write, I'm always thinking I'm like, oh, man, I hope I hope this isn't dumb. Oh, man, I hope I hope someone reads this and feels this and like believes it, you know, like they believe that I believed it and everything, too. Um, so it's like my advice was almost just like, don't worry so much if you're giving a lot of fucks because ultimately it's coming from a really good place you're caring about your words and their effect on other people um but it will be better for your sanity for sure if you can just sort of like go with the flow and just kind of focus on yourself like i don't i actually don't sh share my writing with anyone until i'm done i don't really do writing groups and stuff like that yeah, i don't either like who do you but do you, do you have like yeah. first readers or anything like that before you go to like your agent or your editor I, I'm, I'm trying to do that this time around. I'm trying to do a lot of things different this time around just to like feel better and everything. But no, my funny enough with Pizza Girl, I wrote it all. I finished it at like three in the morning one day and I was so excited. I like poured myself a little glass of this Johnny Walker blue. Um, I was so tired though. I fell asleep. And when I woke up the next morning, there was like a dead fly in the glass. And I was like, Ooh, bad omen. That's a good <laughs> omen. You think it's you think it's a good omen? Well, it ended up working out because just later that day, I just looked up some agents that repped people I liked and sent out a few emails. And uh, the first one actually ended up being my agent. Well, see, there you go. It was a good omen. Yeah, apparently. I feel like when anything like that happens, like the it's just best to just default to it's a good omen. Like you know, <laughs> yeah, make it make it positive and whatnot. I um, I I think it's sort of that thing too. It's like looking back, I'm like that is insane that I did that. But there's like a part of me and it's sort of tied to like don't give a fuck mentality of like I talk myself out of things all the time. And maybe if I had talked myself out of that, I I've obviously would have still written Pizza Girl and I have to believe it still would have been published. But there was something maybe about the urgency of it that would have been lost if I tinkered with it too much. How long did it take you to write? Um, the actual writing, a little less than a year, but I had had the idea. I had the first line. Her name was Jenny Hauser, and every Wednesday I put pickles on her pizza um, for about two and a half, three years. 
Interesting. That's the first thing that came to you was that line? Yeah, yeah, because I was thinking, I'm a, I'm a big line gal, and I love a, for a good banger of a first line. And I was just thinking, I was like, okay, what's the story about? I was like, it's definitely a delivery driver falling into obsession with a customer. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to basically say it from the beginning. Her name, and then something like kind of like weird, a little sexual, definitely intriguing, you know, like pickles on her pizza. What the hell is that? So... I just wanted a grabby line, and it ended up staying the first line. Have you ever had pickles on a pizza? I have, actually. I um, In South Dakota, I have family in North Dakota and Minnesota area, and I was just driving a little bit, and I stopped at this hole in the wall, and they had it on the menu, and it was actually pretty good. I was surprised. I don't know why more places don't do it. Hey, everybody. If you are a writer or an aspiring writer or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing, it's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so a couple things. First of mm-hmm. all, like I don't think you should ever put fruit on a pizza. I'm not a pineapple person. <laughs> I am very anti-pineapple. I had an ex that did pineapple pizza exclusively, and I'm convinced that's why ultimately we were never going to work. Yeah, no, it's just uh, that's uh, it's morally wrong. But I think that <laughs> you can put almost anything mm. on a pizza. Like the basic technology of pizza, like dough, tomato sauce, yes. cheese, it's hard to fuck it up. You know, yeah. just about anything on top of that is going to be fine. Yeah, the funniest is that I've been getting so many questions, especially from New Yorkers, like, tell me your favorite place to get a slice, this, this, that. And I was like, I am trash. I would order Domino's sometimes in the city or, you know, I love Little Caesars. All pizza is pretty good to me. I mean, I, 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 I wish I could eat dairy, but I... Uh, Are you I, lactose uh, intolerant? You know, I wasn't until I became a vegan and then it screwed up my whole system. Oh. So, mm. but I, I will still to this day, I'll just take a piece of pizza and just rip the cheese off. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I'm not that like elegant about any of it, but I, you know, I, I like tombstone pizza, like the frozen pizza that you, like I grew up on that. I think that Mm. stuff's good too. Right. Or DiGiorno. Oh, love that guy. (laughs) He's he's a hero. Uh, (laughs) so where are you from? You said, yeah, you just mentioned, uh, what is it? South Dakota and Minnesota. Yeah. Split time between there and the LA area. Where in, where in Minnesota? 
Uh, funny enough, uh, Pelican Rapids, it's an hour out of Fargo, oh, North okay. Dakota. Yeah, so it's like right on the border there. My wife is from Minneapolis. Oh, very cool. So, very cool. I'm, yeah, I've spent some time up there. But then you, you came out to L.A. Yes. Yeah, I currently live in like the Chinatown Echo Park area. Oh, you do? Okay, so you yeah. left New York. I did. I, I miss it, but it felt like time to come back and sort of like I've never lived in L.A. as like a normal adult that makes sense and i just kind of wanted to see how that would how that would look how's it looking not too bad i mean i know this is such a strange uncertain time but i've been trying to be positive about it and you know i mean i'm lucky luckier than most and that i have my health and all my loved ones have their health um so yeah i've been trying to just be as productive and unproductive as i want to if that makes sense like you need to have days i think where you don't I've probably been more productive during COVID than I was. Oh, yeah. I was always pretty productive. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I've got a lot going on, but I, right. I feel like maybe it focused me or I'm just like, I think I'm kind of a, not a shut in. Like I don't feel lonely because <laughs> I have a family and mm. there's always chaos in my house. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I know then, what you mean. so it's not like I'm in some sort of like a tower, like Montaigne or something. <laughs> like it's, yeah. I'm like I'm like ten feet from chaos at all times, but <laughs> I feel like maybe COVID made the way that I tend to operate more socially acceptable somehow because mm. it sort of it's sort of enforced sure. it's kind of enforced it on everybody. Yeah. And then I think once it happened, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to lock in because this is going <laughs> on and nothing's going to change it anytime soon. You know, it just seems like we're locked into this until we get a uh, you know crazy pants out of the white house yeah yeah it's funny i go th- i either i've been going up and i'm i've been up and down i'm either also a really good friend during this time or like a really bad friend you know cuz it's like i feel like because i've had so much extra time and you can't really go out or do things like that you're spending more time on the phone or you're zooming and it's caused me and a lot of friends that i wouldn't normally talk to to like reconnect which has been really nice you know and I- in a really deep level i think too yeah, I think like I think phone calls made a bit of a comeback during the pan or have made oh. a bit of a comeback during the pandemic. Well, because you get Zoom burnout. Like there's something different. Like you're staring at a screen and you're talking, but you're not getting the same pleasure of sitting across from someone. Like it is nice to see a friend and see their face, but sometimes it's like after just a long day, it's sort of nice to just be able to walk around and not look at anything in particular and just talk to someone on the phone. Like I'm really enjoying talking to you right now. You know, yeah. oh, this yeah. is this is nice. Yeah. Are you walking around? I am not. I am not. I was nervous if I walked around, my voice would get shaky, this, this, that. <laughs> Does my voice sound nervous? I'm never sure how my voice sounds. No. Is this your nervous voice? or is I, it, I do uh, feel nervous a little bit. I feel like my voice gets higher mm. when I'm like anxious in some way. Mm. And then maybe it gets like extra low when I'm self-conscious. Mm. Mm. Like I try to be like more... And then hopefully it's somewhere, <laughs> some, it somewhere, somewhere in the middle, lands somewhere in the middle between anxiety and like, you know, uh, painful self-awareness. No, your podcast voice is good. Sometimes I, I sometimes joke that I use your podcast to help me fall asleep at night because it's like I get some good information, but you also it's always very soothing, good level. And so I can I can go to sleep well, too. Uh, so, okay. So when did you like, tell me, like divide it up for me. You live in the mm-hmm. upper, upper Midwest from when to when, and then when do you get out to LA for your, I guess your high school years? Yeah. Around that time. And I, I went to college out here too. Um, and then I moved to New York, uh, to really pursue writing actively. 
you know. I was a business major at the beginning of college, but it made me really unhappy. And I was really honestly thinking about dropping out just because I didn't really see the point, you know. <laughs> and that I think my lack of ambition made me feel bad, if that makes sense. Because it's like with, I don't know, I was basically having what I understand now as like millennial burnout, you know. But at the time, it just felt like I was just this huge loser that couldn't keep up with all my like, beautiful, attractive, smart classmates. Um, but it really was just that I, I was studying stuff that I didn't have any interest in. Like, I just wanted to be a business major because I wanted to make money, you know, have a pair of Jordans that matched every one of my outfits, you know, pool, shit like that. Um, but yeah, I changed to English and it really felt like, it sounds so cheesy, like a dorky thing, but it really felt like I found my people and like I was excited to go to class. That that didn't happen often for me. Okay, so let me, just because I never majored in business, uh, <laughs> what, call. Do, what is it like? What, <laughs> what is it like to major in business? What do, they t what do you do? You have to like, sit around like reading case studies? or I, I will say I, I ditched a lot. I really wasn't very involved. The thing I remember, though, there was the one fun thing I remember, we had this management class, and we would always do fun exercises. Or he did a funny one once. I particularly remember this one where the professor tapped a beat out and then he had all of us like write down what we thought the beat was. And of course, no one got it. And it was like the Mario song. And he just paralleled it as this fun example of like, see, even though you think something clear, you should be, you know, it's not always clear to everyone else. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there was a lot of cute stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I didn't love my classmates. The material didn't really stick for me. I don't know. <laughs> and you said you felt bad about your lack of ambition. Yeah, I it felt like I I wanted to want to be ambitious, if that makes sense. I can I can totally relate to that. I've talked about this I think on the show more more than once. It's like this like this complicated relationship with I ha with, that I have with the word ambition and yeah. what it stands for and how yeah. uh, and you know, you're a sports fan, so we can mm, we yeah. can we can use that paradigm to sort of uh yeah. drill drill down into it, but like yeah. I th I think of uh Whenever they talk about quarterbacks in mm -hmm. professional football, right. if you watch enough sports media, there's a there's a trope where yeah. like the sportscasters will lionize the competitive mania of the great quarterback and they will right. talk talk about how like this grown man when he like loses a game of monopoly <laughs> or like ping pong, like throws a temper tantrum and like whips right. whips a paddle and like <laughs> takes a chunk out of the drywall and you know like right. storms out of the room and like this is this is considered a positive story meant to underscore yeah. <laughs> the the competitive fire and to me it sounds like mental illness. I know it sounds just like wow you you need to talk to someone you need to figure out a way to deal with that. Yeah. I think that's why it's like I kind of like if we're staying on the sports thing I remember it's like I played basketball competitively for so long and it just made me feel almost ill towards the end of it because it's like I wasn't even – it wasn't even that I wanted to win. It wasn't even that I was enjoying winning. But I – like the losing just made me feel terrible, you know, and I just hated that I was putting myself in this position that I felt like I had to go, go, go. And the best I would feel if I won was just this sort of like, oh, thank God it's over, you know. And it's weird to feel that way just in your life. <laughs> you know what made me feel worse? Mm. When we, I like a couple times, I was a soccer player when I was younger. Oh yeah. Mm. When we would tie. Mm. 
God. And I'd be like, well, what the fuck was the point of that? Like, at least let me know right. how to feel. Like, I just had no, yeah. I hated being in that, like, I, I, yeah. I either wanted to feel terrible about myself for losing <laughs> or I wanted to feel like that, like, you know, that caffeine high or the sugar high of winning. And uh, yeah, totally. When you tie, like, and as a sports fan, I'm the same way. Like, the, there should mm -hmm. be no ties. Like, <laughs> in competitive soccer, there you have a shootout and you decide a winner. You don't have a tie right. at the end of regulation. I think yeah, that's, fuck that. yeah, that's bullshit. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, I guess that's the, that's what's the so confusing thing about ambition. Like at least in sports, uh, outside of a tie, there's like very clear ways of how everything is going to go. With like ambition, you know you should be feeling it, but if you don't have a concrete goal, it just kind of turns into this uneasy chest feeling that you're kind of carrying around. All right. There we have it, folks. That was this week's flashback. An outtake from episode 659, my conversation with author Jean Kyung Frazier. Her debut novel is called Pizza Girl, available from Doubleday. It's an excellent novel. Episode 659 first aired on July 22nd, 2020. A reminder that the full episode is available. So if you like what you just heard and you want to go in for the full hour with Jean Kyung Frazier, you can do that. Just search for episode 659 wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Gene Kyung Fraser online at gogenefrasergo.com. I believe that's it. Yeah, gogenefrasergo.com. She is also, last I checked, on Twitter and Instagram. Don't forget to sign up for my free weekly email newsletter over at bradlisty.substack.com. Join the Other People Patreon at patreon.com slash other PPL pod. If you have a couple of minutes, please rate and review this show wherever you listen to this show. So Apple podcasts, Spotify, whatever it is, give the show a rating, write a little review. It helps the show find new listeners. Last but not least, a quick plug for my latest book. It is called be brief and tell them everything. It's a novel available in trade paperback, ebook and audiobook editions. I narrate the audiobook, So if that sounds good, go get my book. It's called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. All right, so there will be a new episode on Sunday. I've got some uh, great interviews in the pipeline. I will be talking with an author, but it is TBD. I'm still in TBD mode here at the outset of 2024. So you're just going to have to tune in and see on Sunday. I'll be back in like 36 hours with more content, another interview, another conversation. Stay tuned.